Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, what's up, Epiphany Brooklyn family? Uh, My name is Pastor Earn. I have the privilege and the honor of serving as the lead pastor of Accelerate Church. That's a church that my wife and I are planning in the South Jersey region. And how we like to describe ourselves is as a movement that creates moments for people to meet Jesus. And we're, playing, we're praying that through this ethnically diverse and multi-ethnic church that God will breathe upon it and that people who are far away from God will come to meet him savingly. And I'm so thankful for this invitation today. Let me give a shout out to your pastor and the leading lady, Pastor Brandon and Ty Watts. And just let them know how much of a blessing they are to the Grant family specifically, but to the body of Christ in general. And I just want to let you guys know that I love you. And I'm so grateful for this gracious invitation today. Now, listen, I, 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 could, I got a lot that I could say, but I just want to let you guys know that I love you, Brooklyn. You're a leading church in this region. And uh, at Accelerate Church, we really love you. Why don't we pray and then we'll jump on in. Father, it is by grace that we come again to you. First, Lord, just saying thank you. To thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear the gospel afresh. Lord, to hear about the life, the death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you endured the the gory Friday and the resurrection on Sunday so that we could be seated with you in the heavenlies. And Father, I pray that you will bless the listening ears right now. Lord, Lord, I'm deeply aware that it's somebody on the other side of that camera that is deeply discouraged, disheartened, tired, exhausted, weary, and worn out. And Father, I pray that these words will fall on the fertile soil of their souls and that they'll be reminded that you care, that you love them, that you're with them, and that you're for them. So Father, I pray that you would do a work for your glory and for your grace in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody that agree with that say, amen. Do me a favor and get with me. I'm in uh, 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. I want to be reading from verse 1. It says this, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the verse I want us to pick up on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction through the comfort we receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope is this for you, is firm, because we know that as you share in sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Check this out. And we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead. And he has delivered us from such a terrible death and will deliver us. We have put our hope in him and he will deliver us again while you join him in helping us with your prayers. Then 
many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. You know, it's been said that there are two irreducible realities of life. It says that you're going to die and that we're going to pay taxes. Now, that statement suggests that Uncle Sam is always going to have his hand out to get a cut of your check. And it also suggests at some point we will pass from this lifetime into the next. And what I'd say is that there's a lot of truth in that statement, but it admits one key element. Yes, we're going to die. Yet, Yes, we're going to pay taxes. But while we're on the earth, each and every one of us is going to suffer. Like, like we're going to have some bad days. And whether you're young or old, we will all experience a tragic loss, unexpected hardship. And none of us can really anticipate all of the, the twists and turns that occur on the roller coaster of life. And no matter what precautions you take or how well you order your lives, no matter how much money you've stashed away in your 401k, no matter how much, how hard you have worked, something will inevitably come and ruin it all. And the truth, is the, the truth of the matter is that no amount of money or power or planning can prevent bereavement. It can't prevent dire illness or betrayal or a host of other troubles that will come our way because our lives have been derailed. What I'd like to solicit to you today is that suffering is like the common cold. There is no cure for it and none of us are immune to it. And sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves, right? Because of our poor decisions. Other times because we refuse to compromise our morals, it takes, uh, it, we, we suffer, but, but sometimes it takes different shapes and, and different uh, forms in our lives. And we're experiencing, uh, we all have experienced our fair share of suffering. And some of us are probably wondering, God, how long is my life going to fall apart? How, how long are things still going to be difficult for me? Why did you allow for my mother to get sick and die? How come my daughter is always hurt so often? How come my marriage crumbled? How come my health has deteriorated? If God, if you're so powerful, if you're so mighty and you're so majestic, how come you didn't intervene in my dire situation? Now, what's interesting about this is that when things are going good, we are hashtag blessed. Yes, we are. We are hashtag grateful. Hashtag God is good. When our relationships are going well, when our careers are prospering, when everything is copacetic, we give God the praise. We lift up our hands and shout. But as soon as evil days begin to arise, we question the goodness of God. And the truth is, is because of recent circumstances, some of us have just decided to walk away from him in general. Let's be honest. Some of us have not been on the live stream in a long time. You have stopped praying. You've quit your devotions. And functionally, some of us have deserted the faith. We have walked away from the church and walked away from God because we are simply frustrated with our lot in life. Well, let me say this to you. During times of trouble, walking away from God might seem like the right solution. But even if you remove him from the equation, you're still left with the problem. You're literally solving nothing. Here's the reality. Walking away from God does not improve your situation. It only deepens the problem because as you'll see, you're walking away from the ultimate source of your true comfort. We all suffer. It doesn't matter what faith background you are a part of, but Christians view suffering a little bit differently than other belief systems. 
Uh, we don't believe that we're suffering because we have some angry sky dad that's throwing a temper tantrum. We don't think that God is so upset with us that he's always putting us in the corner for every, every little thing that we've done. No, we don't believe that. At the core of the Christian message is the assurance of the cross. And the cross says that Jesus was a volunteer and he was a voluntary recipient of the punish that we deserve. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ. So I'm not being punished for past wrongs because on the cross, Jesus paid it all. But there are some reasons, however, why God would allow suffering. And I want to cover them today. And I want to preach from this topic today. Help when life hurts. Help when life hurts. It's been said that there are three types of people, people that are in a storm, people that are getting out of the storm and people that are about to go into the storm. And my question is, why do we have to have a storm at all? And I think this passage today will really lay out why that's the case. Here's my first point. The reason that God allows suffering, number one, is to draw you and I closer to him, to draw you and I closer to him. Now, here's the thing. None of us wants to suffer. None of us wants to experience pain and hardship and, and, and to go through the difficulty of trials, the TNT of life, trials and tribulations. None of us wants to do that. But here's what I know about God is there are certain things that God will teach you in pain that he will not teach you in prosperity. Think about pain for a second. Think about the utility of it. Pain demands our focus. Pain demands our attention. And if you dare turn your back on it or pretend that it doesn't exist, it will only get worse and worse. But many of us live such busy, self-catered, self-oriented lives that sometime God will bring out the, the, the tool of pain to help grab our attention and to break our self-sufficiency. When you experience pain and suffering, we come to the reality that life is fragile and, and, and subject to forces that are beyond our control. And suffering allows us to see that we were never in control or we were never in the helm or the cockpit of our lives. Sometimes God will allow us to experience pain to remind us that he's in charge, he's in control, and remove the illusion of control from our lives so that we can draw near to Jesus. Here's the second thing. God is correcting you to protect you from future hardship. <laughs> You know, I, I love my son. I love both my kids, Amela, who we named after my late mom, and my son, Chancellor. We actually named him after the rapper. Don't tell my wife. Uh, she'll get upset about that. She doesn't like me uh, saying that or broadcasting that loudly. Uh, but I said it on the, on the podcast here, so everybody hears it. But anyway, uh, when Chan was growing up, um, he used to call me, he, he was calling me daddy. That was his first words because I was his hero. He'd say, daddy. I'd be like, man, this boy is so cute. He looked like his mom. I thought he was going to look like me. He looks like his mom. That's okay. I'm dealing with that, right? And, and then he added another word to his vocabulary that I'm not really fond of. And it's the word no, right? Parents all know about this. Chan, take off your shoes. No. Chan, put your toys back. No. Chan, come over here right now. No. Like, like it's cute right now, right? It really is. But if you don't address it early, it can cause him some real problems in life in the future. Like, like he can tell me no, and that's fine. But if he tells a teacher no, it can result in a suspension. 
If he tells a police officer no, it can really have some dire consequences. So I have to address this problem now so it does not become a long-term problem later. Can I just pull up to your house for a second? The reason that God allows some suffering in your life is not to chastise you for mistakes of the past, but to prevent future ones. He's saying, let me deal with that anger issue that you have right now. When you have these, these bursts of anger, let me deal with that now before you put your hands on your spouse. Let, let me deal with the mommy and daddy issues that have been welling in your soul since you were a young adolescent and you have become functionally dysfunctional in your life. Let me deal with this now before you project them onto your children. He's like, let me deal with this drug issue now. Before you get strung out, let me deal with this pride now before you before you experience a fall. Let me deal with this now so it doesn't become a bigger problem later and derail where I want to take you in life. God is like, let me deal with this porn issue so you don't get porn induced erectile dysfunction and are unable to make love to your wife because you see her you because you prefer the women on the screens and you want simulated sex let me deal with it now some of us ought to welcome a little bit of suffering because suffering helps us deal with the core of our issues so that we can walk in the freedom that God intends God is like let me deal with it now so the purpose of suffering is not to punish you for past sins, but it's to prune and purify your soul so that you can walk in the sanctification of God. Here's my third reason. Sometimes God allows you to suffer to break dysfunctional patterns in your life. Let me park here for a second. Here's what I've learned recently, that this word trauma is a buzzword. Everybody uses it. It's, it's everywhere. It's on our timelines. It's on our TV shows, right? And trauma is our response to a deeply disturbing, or deeply disturbing event. And here's what I realized, is that during this pandemic, many of us have accumulated a lot of traumas between the political upheaval that's going on in this nation, between all the, the, the black and brown bodies that are being shot down in the streets, between all of the, the rise of the anti, of, 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 of uh, anti-Asian hate speech and, and assaults like like our souls have become a, a junk drawer of ungrieved griefs. <laughs> and some of us have just not been able to process it all. We have not been able to process our hurt. Here's what I know is that many of us are quick to identify the trauma, but we have a difficult time addressing the dysfunction. Because the dysfunction is how you cope with the trauma. We, 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 we identify that we have mommy issues, but we don't address how we project them on others. We, we deal with the, the, the idea that we've been sexually exploited and taken advantage of when we were young children, but we don't address it and we begin to normalize it in our lives. Frankly, we live in a culture where dysfunction or how we cope with trauma has become sexy. It's become sexy to be a workaholic. It's become sexy to be overcritical. It's cool now all of a sudden to ghost people because we are so influenced by cancel culture that lifts up the bar of accountability but does not give any room for redemption. 
We think it's cool to avoid accountability. But what I'm just trying to tell some of us is that God will allow you to suffer some time to break the dysfunctional patterns in your life. Sometimes he will sit you down and help you deal with it. Because if I can just be honest, I think that some of us are emotionally constipated. Because we've been hydroplaning over our dysfunction. Our souls are jam-packed with untamed emotion, unaddressed issues from poor parenting when we, were, when we were children, from all these failed relationships, unaddressed issues. Like God is like, let me slow you down to deal with the issues of your soul so you can walk in the freedom that I intended you to have. Just trying to tell somebody today. Sometime suffering is necessary because it breaks the strongholds that take root in our soul. And sometimes he uses pain to break us out of them. But then there's a fourth category of suffering. And I like to describe it as inexplicable suffering. <laughs> there, there are times where suffering seems to not make any sense. It's what we can describe as none of the above type of suffering. The cause of the suffering is simply unidentifiable. Right. The, the, the sons of Korah were right in Psalm 44. They say all of this has come upon us and we have not forgotten you. We have not been false to you. We have not broken your covenants. Our hearts have not turned back from you. Therefore, God, why is all of this happening to us? I solicit to you that this is a real poignant question because some of us are asking the same thing. God, why is my life falling apart when it seems like I'm doing everything right. Why are things getting more difficult for me when I'm only doing what you asked? That's a question that we all ask. Let me just tell you a little bit about this passage this morning. The gentleman that's writing this passage, his name is the Apostle Paul. He is the LeBron James or Michael Jordan of the Christian faith, depending on what spectrum you fall in. Uh, uh, he's an expert theologian. He's a church planner. He started churches in the Mediterranean region in the first century. Like he went everywhere and he started this church in a place called Corinth, which is a port city. It's like a, a place of real culture. And he stayed there with them for two years, preaching the gospel, developing leaders and, and creating an infrastructure for the church to grow. But shortly after he left, the church just fell into disarray. Like there was rampant, rampant immortality, right? It, 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 on top of that, there was deep division. It was such a toxic place that one young man was bragging about sleeping with his stepmother. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. But on top of that, some of the people that Paul cared about the most began to turn their backs on him. They began to trash his name. They began to, to follow the false apostles and the false teachers. And eventually he reconciled with them. Like eventually, like he dealt with this issue because second, second Corinthians is more of a reconciliatory type of letter. But he's letting them know like, yeah, it's all water under the bridge. I'm, it's all it's all good. But I want to let you know in verse eight that what I was going through was one of the most difficult times in my life. He was like, I'm, I was suffering in silence during that time. And because we were on the relational outs. I couldn't really tell you about it. So he was he, he was suffering while he was socially isolated from the people that cared about him the, no, the most. And he's saying, I was going through some of the hardest trials of my life. Let me tell you something. There is nothing like losing friends in the most difficult period of your life. It's a tough thing to endure. And I'm not sure what, what, what happened here, but but Paul describes it as physical, mental, social and economic adversity. 
He says he and all of his apostolic companions were completely overwhelmed. One translator says it like this. He says, it was so bad that I didn't think I was going to make it. He said whatever he was going through in Turkey or what we would call as Asia Minor, he's saying that I did not think that I was going to live. Death seemed like more of an appealing option than living. And some of you, some of you know exactly how Paul feels. You might not have been experiencing physical beating or, or, or near-death experiences, but you have the pressure of the world pushing down on you right now. Some of you work so hard and you go home or you stay in the house working and you have stress headaches. Some of you are dealing with the strain of a breakup, the pain of losing a loved one. And you're struggling, if you're honest, in this pandemic to get a new rhythm, even though we've been in it for almost uh, for over a year. Some of us are battling anxiety and depression. We're battling mental health issues where we're, we're constantly fatigued, we're exhausted. And if you're like Paul, and if you could be honest, some of us are suffering and we're on the brink of losing our mental and emotional composure. <laughs> Paul says something very interesting in verse three. He tells us about the struggle. But before it even starts, he says in verse three, blessed be God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. What a sentence. He was like, I just went through the most difficult time in my life, but I thank God that he gave me comfort while I went through it. Paul is suggesting that, that God sympathizes with us and he provides relief for us while we suffer. Some of us have been begging God, God, please remove the pain. Please remove the, the, the hurt that I'm experiencing. Please remove the situation that I'm going into. But he says, he says something different. Paul says, God will give you something even better. Sometimes he won't remove the pain, but he promises that he will comfort you while you are in it because comfort and grief can exist in the same place. That's why the, the, the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Some of us need to just get a you are with me in this season. Lord, I know that I don't have all the money in the 401k that I want. I know that my life seems to be falling apart. I know that things are in chaos, God, but I still got my health and strength. I still have a place to live. I still have people that care for me. I still have a pastor and first lady that preach the gospel. I still have you, the cross and the resurrection in the middle of this difficult time. Some of us need to get, it, get that in our souls today. God does not always remove the pain. But he promises you that he will give you grace while you endure it. He, some of y'all didn't think you could make it through the, the depression that you experienced. But God sent you some friends to rally around you and to get behind you while you suffered. You didn't think you could make it or pick up the pieces of your life after that messy breakup. You didn't think God was going to help you. But let me tell you something. While you went through that breakup, God gave you comfort, but he also gave you some clarity. Now you're praising God that he pulled y'all apart because he turned your X into a Y. Why did I date him in the first place? Why was I attracted to them? Why didn't I notice their toxicity from the beginning? What he's saying is sometime God will give you clarity and he will give you comfort in the situation to let you know that you only need to be dependent on him. Somebody ought to give God some praise right there in the chat box. 
Because God is with you. He's for you. And God knows how to comfort his children. That's why he says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them from them all. Like if you're looking for God to remove the pain, you might be disappointed. If you're looking for God to come in and save the day and, and remove the, the issues that you're experiencing, you might be upset. But God promises you this. I give you comfort while you suffer. I hold your hand while you go through it. I empathize with you in your pain. I'm there for you, but there's certain things that I teach you in pain that I will not teach you in prosperity. There's certain times where you have to engage with me during the rock bottom portions of your life to know that only I matter. <laughs> but he says this, that there's no circumstance that circumvents the comfort of God. If he's the God of all comfort, that means that there's no trial too great for him. There's, 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 there's no difficulty too, too challenging for him, for him. He wants us to know that. But on the flip side, he's also letting us know that if he is the source of all comfort, just get that in your soul, he's the ultimate source of all comfort. The implication is that there is no true or lasting comfort outside of him. Outside of him, there is no comfort that will last or endure all the circumstances that we face in life. A lot of times we run to fleeting pleasures to give us comfort during hardship. Some of y'all know about that, right? But here's what I know about God. All of those things, the, the, the comfort ends eventually, right? But God provides what I like to describe as time release comfort. He dispenses a dose of comfort when you need it the most. And like a capsule that releases medicine over time, God releases it over time to us. During those times in night, he gives us a little comfort. When our heads are aching and our tear ducts are flowing from all the anxiety that we're experiencing, he gives us a little bit of comfort. When our eyes are welled up with tears and our bodies ache with pain, he gives us a little comfort because God knows how to give us the right amount of comfort at the right time. Let me tell you, that shopping spree is cool until you get that credit card bill. That, 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 that eating comfort food is good until your blood pressure goes up, <laughs> right, right? Like, like that buzz from the Hennessy will wear off, the euphoria from sex will wear away, the high from the pills will come down. But here's the thing, God promises you, if you trust in me, if you believe in me, I will give you comfort that cannot be circumvented with any circumstance in your life. That's why he says this in verse four. He comforts us in all of our comfort so that we may be able to comfort those in any kind of affliction. So here's the thing. He doesn't just give us comfort to make us feel better. He does it so that we can give it away to others generously, right? He gives you more than enough comfort so that we can give it to other people. But let me just suggest this to you. Some of us don't know how to comfort others. Like many of us don't even know when to comfort people because we've so normalized dysfunction that we think trauma should be a part of our everyday lives, right? Like, like we don't even know how to comfort people in pain because we've embraced dysfunctional pain as a part of our lives, right? So we don't even know how to encourage people while they're suffering other than saying, hey, you're in my thoughts and your prayers, right? But let me just give you some don'ts for comforting people. Can I do that for a second, right? Here's my first idea. Don't engage in competitive complaining. 
right? You know how this plays out. You're like, oh, you know, this problem is so bad. And then that person goes, well, let me tell you about mine, right? That's what they do, right? Don't, don't, make, don't make their problem about you. Don't play the one-up game like, oh, man, I just had a really terrible week. Well, girl, I've been having a terrible pandemic year. Like, it's been bad. Don't do that. That's not comforting. That's taking their pain and centering it on you so you can be comforted. That's, that's not the goal of this, right? So, so number one, don't engage in competitive complaining. Number two, don't be silver lining Susie, right? Like, like don't be that person. When, when people are going through, they're not looking for you to cheer them up. They're not looking for unsolicited advice. They're not looking for you to positively reframe the conversation. Sometimes people just want you to sit there with them in their pain. I, I don't feel like smiling yet. Let me process my hurt. Let, let, let me deal with my hardship and my heartache first. Like, here, here's what I suggest. Feel my pain before you attempt to fix my problem. Sometimes people just want emotional validation. They just want to know that they're not crazy. They, want to, they just want to know that they're loved after that breakup, after that job rejection, after, after that unexpected loss. They just want to know that somebody cares and they don't need somebody positively reframing, reframing it and saying, well, God's got something better for you on the other side. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? I'm just simply saying, sometimes you just got to sit with people in their pain and not try to solve the problem. This is what he says, though. I just want to know that there, here's what God promises. I don't know what faith background you come from, but the reason that Christians are so fixated on the cross and the resurrection is because we know that it is true consolation for our suffering. Like, like we've all done evil. We, we, we've all done horrendous things in this life that we would hate to admit. Like, like, like for some of us, we have committed offenses that have been so diabolical that we dare not utter them. And for each of those instances, we deserve to experience eternal punishment and banishment from the presence of God. Like that's what we deserve. We should be paying for our crimes in the lake of fire forever because God just can't sweep our sin under the rug. Otherwise, he wouldn't be holy. He has to deal with them because he's just. So therefore, someone must pay. So my Jesus became man enough to owe my debt and God enough to pay my debt. He, he, he did this and on the cross, there was a heavenly transfer. He took the punishment that I deserve. He took that drug addiction. He took that porn usage, those anger problems, that self-reliance. He took that pride and he took the only suffering that would, that would keep us from God forever. And that's our sin. Did that on the cross of Calvary. And like many of you, man, I was deeply impacted by the death of DMX. Deeply impacted. I heard that he was riding they had him riding through streets on a, on a monster truck. It was amazing. I saw the, the funeral with Nas and the Rough Riders and things like that. And I don't know about you, but, but I grew up in that era. When Dark and Hell is Hot came out, I was taking my shirt off, wearing doll collars and barking in the house. Now, I know somebody agrees with me on that. You, you've did that. You've done that before. I remember I got a detention one time. My dad was like, son, let me get this right. He's like, Ernie, come in here. And you know, whenever your dad puts that deep voice, deep bass in his voice, you know something is going to go on. He said, did you get a detention because you were telling people to, quote, get at you, dog, barking and claiming that you were a, quote, rough rider? 
I was like, well, Dad, that, that couldn't have been me. I simply did not do anything like that. I did eventually get in trouble for that because that did, that did happen. But like we were all deeply impacted by him. We grew up under his music. And underneath the coarse lyrics and the sexual bravado was a man that showed us how to express pain while maintaining masculinity. We hadn't really seen a lot of that in hip hop. And his, dirt, his death hurt a lot of people. And one thing that people may not know about DMX is that he was about to stop making music in the 2000s because he didn't own his masters for his hits. And he could not generate the income that was necessary in order to support his growing family. And in the music industry, the record label takes ownership of the recordings. And then what they do is they lease those recordings out to film and TV shows and streaming services in order to generate re revenue. And if an artist does not own their masters, what happens is they only get a fraction of the profit. The record company has all the power. It leaves the artist powerless and they cannot get themselves out of the contract. And typically, typically, the only way that an artist can get themselves out of the agreement is if a beneficial or, or, or is if a great party from the outside decides that they're going to cover the expense. Like, like the only way that they can get out of this deal is if somebody offers a payment that will cover the cost of the masters. And old friends, let me just tell you, that reminds me of my Jesus. He knew that you and I entered into an agreement with evil. He saw that we, 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 had, we were in a deal that we could not have gotten ourselves out of. He saw that we didn't have the political coward or the, or the relational capital. And there was nothing that we could do but Jesus on a hill called Calvary, on a mountain called Golgotha. He decided to make a one-time payment to cover all the expenses on the cross they hung him high and they stretched him wide. He bowed his head in the locks of his shoulders. He had the blood was dripping from his pierced hands and his impaled side. But on the cross, Jesus satisfied an age old debt. He covered the expense for our sins. He, he settled a past due account. And now I'm free from having sin exercise power over me. He died. And he lost all of his glory so that you and I could be clothed in it. He was shut out from the father so that you and I could gain access to him. He was bound and nailed so that you and I could be made free. He became what I was so that I could become as he is. And on that frightful day on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that could destroy us forever, and that's the sin that has developed inside of us. But I'm so glad today, church, that three days later, as the old preacher would say early Sunday morning, while the dew was still on the roses, before the birds sang their melodies, while before the, the, the sun cracked the night sky, my Jesus rose. He folded up his clothes like an H&M shirt. He rolled the stone out of the way and he got up, as the old preacher would say, with all power in his hand. He got up with time in one hand and eternity in the other hand. And the thing about the resurrection is that it's just not consolation, but it's a promise of restoration. What it means is that we get it all back. We get our bodies back. We get our loved ones that have died in Christ back. 
We get the beauty of life and can traverse between the new heaven and the new earth. The resurrection is so important and critical to Christians because it's the ultimate reversal of the suffering that we experience right now. The resurrection says that every right or every wrong is going to be made right. All the shootings of the black and brown bodies at the hands of police, somehow God's going to make it right. All of my Asian brothers and sisters that have experienced heartache and pain from hate crimes, God's going to make it right. If you go back, even the extermination of the indigenous people on this climate, God's going to make it right. All the black and brown bodies that came from the transatlantic slave trade from West Africa to Portugal and all those places, God's going to make it right. All the babies that have been aborted, God's going to make it right. God promises that the resurrection is going to be a reversal of all of the evil that has occurred in life. It says that Jesus in the end is going to right every wrong and he's going to wipe away every tear. I just want somebody to know that today. Like I know that you're suffering and I know that your life is being pulled apart. And I know that you have a community, a church community of people that love you and care about you. You have a pastor and pastors that love you. And, and even though we might not be able to fix the brokenness right now, the resurrection guarantees that Jesus is going to do it because he dealt with the only problem that will ever keep you away from him on the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your love towards us. Lord, I, I know that it's somebody on the other side of that camera that is hurting, that feels that you have forsaken them. Lord, they're, they're hurting and they're going through all type of trials. Father, I pray that you would comfort them. Give them joy in the midst of sorrow. Give them a mourning for dancing and remind them that you're with them every step that they go. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we honor you. But we know that you are good and you're mighty. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all pray. And everybody that agree with that, say amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.